we're going to continue today uh, in our kind of three-week study that we've been on at looking at the person of Jesus uh, as described in the book of Isaiah. And as we get going, I want to tell you a story. I had a friend in college whose grandfather owned a hardware store. Now, when you're thinking about this hardware store, I want you to think classic American mom-and-pop hardware store selling nails, hammers, screws, screwdrivers, so on and so forth, this mom-and-pop hardware store that he had poured his life into. And he was a business guy, and as business people are prone to do, he had some relationships with other business people. And they would get together, and they would pitch ideas to one another of new business ventures from time to time. Think Shark Tank or something like that. And he had a friend who saw his hardware store and said, hey, I've got an idea. What if I invested in the hardware store and we partnered up and we kind of went in business together, but we expanded beyond just hardware? Maybe we could go into like clothing and home goods and groceries and that sort of thing, kind of become not just a little niche store, but a one-stop shop where you could go and buy whatever you needed. So my friend's grandfather thought about it. He considered kind of this idea. He considered the partner and the the investment and what it would mean. And at the end of the day, he passed. He said, you know, I just don't see a future in kind of these one-stop shop places with everything. I think I'm just going to stick with my niche, stick with hardware, nuts and bolts and that sort of thing. Uh, And so he passed on on the venture. Now, wouldn't you know, a little time passes His buddy goes forward with the plan without him. His buddy happens to be Sam Walton, and the store happened to be Walmart. So there you go. I think he was successful in this idea of a one-stop shop that had everything you needed. So this story was kind of a legend in my friend's family. It would get told and retold, and they would consider the generational impact that one decision that one opportunity that his grandfather had, the way that impacted their family. I want you to think about it for a moment. Imagine just a trajectory change in life if you were, instead of being the owner of a mom-and-pop hardware store, were a partner in the founding of Walmart, if that was in your family. I mean, huge opportunity, huge decision. Why his grandfather passed it up? You know, he, he just didn't see the opportunity that was there. He didn't think that that was really, you know, that, that what was offered to him was really quality, and so he passed. Now, why do I tell you that story here on Christmas Eve? Well, I think at Christmas, for all of us, we have a, an opportunity in front of us. We have an invitation in front of us. We have something presented to us in Christmas that's life-altering, this generation changing, that opens up a new future and a new hope. And I think that we have the potential to miss it, the potential to get distracted, the potential not to quite understand. Maybe we never had it clearly communicated to us what Christmas was all about. And so we miss out on entering in into this revolutionary opportunity. And that opportunity is the significance 
of the birth of Jesus Christ, the reason that we celebrate Christmas. I want to read to you a quote as we begin by a man named Dr. John Polkinghorne. Now, he is a, uh, at one point in his life, was a physicist at the University of Cambridge, so kind of world-class scientist. And somewhere along the way, he left his career as a, a teacher and a professor, as a physicist, to be trained to enter into vocational ministry. And so he has this incredible mind for science and this incredible spiritual life with God. And he writes in a book that he wrote about the significance of Jesus. And I want to share this with you. He says this, One of the most significant things about Jesus of Nazareth is that we've heard of him. Think about that for a moment, that we've heard of him. You see, he lived 2,000 years ago in a not very important frontier province of the Roman Empire. He died comparatively young, painfully and shamefully executed and deserted by the band of close followers that he had gathered around him. He wrote no book that we could have conveyed his message to future generations, yet everyone has heard of Jesus. And even from a secular perspective, he's been one of the most influential figures in the whole history of the world. We take our knowledge of Jesus so much for granted that we mostly fail to see how surprising it is. The significance of the fact that we even know about Jesus. And so to help us see to help us savor, to help us not get lost in the distraction or, or just get not clearly understand, I want to take us into a passage of Scripture in the book of Isaiah found in the Old Testament that helps us get a sense of the significance and the meaning of Jesus, the meaning of Christmas and the opportunity that's extended to you and to me as we celebrate His birth. So if you'll turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 35, Isaiah chapter 35, what we're going to look at is what's called a prophecy. Now, if you're new to the Bible, prophecy is kind of like a prediction about the future, but it's more than that. It's a promise. It's not, hey, this is what I think is going to happen, but it's something that God births in the heart of people of what he is going to do. It's kind of like a rallying speech for a revolution or a political cause or something that someone feels passionately about, but it's more than that. It's like God breathed of this is what he's up to. One of the illustrations I thought about to explain this is if you would think about your favorite meal. What's your favorite food? Like the, the meal that you've had, maybe your grandmother made it or your mother made it or a friend or there's a certain restaurant that's just like, man, if I can just eat this food, it's amazing. I want you to think about your favorite meal. Now, when you think about this food, you realize that the best foods in life take a while to prepare, right? So much so that you can get tired of waiting. You're like, man, is this meal going to come together? My parents are in town from Georgia, and tomorrow we're going to have a Christmas meal that we've been planning and my kids have been putting in votes for what kind of desserts we're going to have, you know. And this is the type of meal that, that they've already started preparing, that they're going to be at my house tonight working on. It takes a while, right? 
And you get impatient and you begin to wonder, like, is this even going to happen? Are we even going to eat? Like if lunch is normally at noon, if you're having one of these type of meals, you know, it happens three hours later than it's supposed to. And you're, you're there and you're just like, oh, I, I'm so hungry. And you begin to smell the aroma, the fragrance of what's cooking in the kitchen. Maybe it's at a restaurant and the waiter comes and they tell you, you know, hey, it'll be here in just a minute. They're working on it. They're preparing it, right? Or your grandmother, you can just smell the aroma of what she's making in the kitchen and you know that it's coming. These prophecies in the book of Isaiah are like that. God's in the kitchen and he's cooking and he's preparing something really good. And as we read today, we get the aroma of what he's preparing and what he's doing. God's up to something. So with that as a background, let's read this prophecy, and what we're going to see here is a description of what God was up to, how God was going to set right the world that had gone astray. Isaiah 35, verse 1, the wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. He will come and save you. So let's pause right there. What is Isaiah saying? What's the aroma that's coming out? Well, he's painting a picture that God is doing something, that God is on the move, and part of the fruit of what he's cooking up is going to be renewal. The image that's put forth is of a desert that gets transformed into a garden. Here you see described the glory of Lebanon, of Carmel, of Sharon. Those were the most beautiful places in the ancient world, right? If you think about the most beautiful places you've ever seen, maybe it's a mountain in Alaska or Colorado or Iceland or something like that. Or maybe it's a beach. Maybe you're a beach person. You know the beach in Florida or the beach in Mexico where it's just like, man, this is beautiful. Uh, The prophet Isaiah is saying, hey, God's cooking something up that wilderness and dry land is going to blossom. It's gonna be transformed into something of great beauty and majesty. Uh, a number of years ago, I went on a, a camel expedition in the Sahara Desert in Africa. My wife and I, and if you think Sahara Desert, just think sand for miles and miles and miles. No shrubs, no water, no mountain, just sand. And it's so hot. And I'm a Texas boy, and I'm out there, and I'm like, man, this is so hot. And we're riding on these camels, and we're going to go out, and we're going to spend the night out in the desert. There's no road. You just have to follow the guide. Here's a a picture. You just have to follow the guide along in the middle of nowhere. And if you veer off the track, you're done for. Like you're not seeing your way out. And I had a gallon bottle of water and I realized if I lose this water, it's over for me, right? Life is over. It's just so hot, so sandy, so dusty. That's what he's describing. There's a wilderness. There's a dry land like that. And God was going to do something so significant that that dry land was going to blossom. It was going to become verdant and beautiful. It's going to be renewal for the planet. 
Now go on into verse 3, and we see the next description of what God is, is doing. It doesn't just impact the world, but it's also going to impact people. He says, strengthen the weak hands, make firm the feeble knees, say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. So what do you see? Weak things being made strong. You see feeble knees being strengthened. You see anxiety being transformed into peace and even courage. It says, your God will come with vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. So you see that there's justice that's breaking forth. In verse 5, it goes on to say, Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. There's going to be healing when God does what he's doing. This thing that he's cooking up, that they're waiting on, is going to be healing for the broken. It's going to be renewal for the planet. Then go on into... Verse 10 says, And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and shall come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. And they shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. What you see here is that those who have been exiled are brought home. So when God cooks up what he's cooking, when it comes to fruition, there's going to be renewal, there's going to be healing, and there's going to be a coming home. It's an amazing thing. You're kind of like, wow, what is is this? Now, turn back, because it's easy to miss this. Turn back into verse 2. And there they say, what's going to make this happen? They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God, he will come and save you. If you jump into verse four, it also says he will come and save you. So this work that God was doing, this renewal, this healing, this bringing us home was going to come through him coming and saving, come through him coming and revealing his glory and setting right what had gone wrong in the world and in our lives. These verses Jesus quotes when he describes his own ministry. These are the aroma that he says, this is what I'm doing. What we see in Jesus is not just a prophet of God, not just a religious teacher or some sort of revolutionary, but we see God come near. God was skin on, come to save. And I want to close by focusing your attention on the idea of needing to come home. This prophecy was given to a people in exile, people displaced, a people not in their home. Statisticians tell us in the world today that one in 13 people is a refugee. One in 13 people is not in their home. They've been displaced through war or political reasons or religious reasons. It's the highest percentage 
the statisticians believe in the history of the world the number of refugees that are living today. We know what it's like to be displaced. We know what it's like to not be home. This summer, my family moved from one house, we moved into a rent house, and then into a house that we purchased, and my kids were just, there was something off because they weren't home. My two-year-old couldn't articulate it, but he just felt like discombobulated. You could just tell he was out of sorts. I bet you've had an experience like that. Whether you've been physically displaced or not, all of us have experienced a spiritual exile, being spiritually displaced, spiritually out of sorts, spiritually lost, spiritually not home. You see, the Bible is actually a story of exile, that God created the world perfect and good, and he created mankind, he created you and me in his image, and he set us in a perfect place in relationship with him and in relationship with one another, and yet we turned from God, from him being the king and him being the creator, say, hey, I want to do life on my own terms. I want to be my own king. I want to be my own creator. And the fruit of that turning causes us to be displaced from our home, from our identity, from the place that we belong. We got lost, spiritually lost. We've all experienced that. I want to read to you from Blaise Pascal. You might think back to a, a math class you had in high school, or maybe you're taking this semester. And he's talking about this feeling of being lost and what we do to try and solve it. He says, what else does this craving and this helplessness proclaim? But that there was once in man a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. So what's he saying? We have this sense that things are out of place, that we're not at home, that we've missed out and, and lost out, but we should be happy and we should be complete and we should be satisfied. We've got this longing inside of us. And he says, this mankind tries to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. Now think about that, right? It's that feeling of, man, if I could just get through the holidays, if I could just get this position at work, if I could just get to my junior year, if I could just date this person, if I could just be engaged, if I could just be married, if I could just be not married, if I could just have kids, if my kids could just, right, we've always got these things that we're, looking to. When I get there, I'll be complete. I'll be home. But he said he cannot find solution, though none of these things can help, since the infinite abyss, this great displacement, can only be filled with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. When Jesus came when this fruit of what God was doing, when Christ came in the flesh. He was a light in our darkness. We saw that a couple weeks ago. He was a light that brings healing, and he's a light that brings us home, brings us, restores us into right relationship with God. Home is the place you belong. Home is the place where you're fully known. 
Home is the place where your identity is clarified and called out and you're strengthened and released in your calling. That's home. And as we come to Christmas, there's an opportunity for us all to come home, to receive this home that God is at work in our midst building and bringing us into. And so maybe you're here and you, you are a strong believer and this has just been a great year in your life and in your relationship with God. But there's good news for you that there's something even better. There's this home that God is preparing for you. And we can celebrate that and we can enter into Christmas by remembering the reason we're celebrating. Maybe you're here and this has been a year where you're like, man, I am not home. I have gotten lost this year. All of my plans, all my ideas, everything, I just, I didn't even know how I'd get into this spot. And I've got good news for you. Christmas is a reminder that Jesus has come to bring you home. No matter how far off the track you've gotten, there's an invitation this Christmas for you. And maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian. You're like, I came with a friend or I came with a family member or I just kind of got dragged into this deal. I just showed up where the the lights were on. Uh, You know, I heard about the funny videos and I'm just here, right? I want to tell you that in Christmas, there's an invitation for you, regardless of where you're from, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what country you were born in or family you were born in or that you grew up in church, but then you left. What happened? Jesus has come for you. And this Christmas, I wanna give you the invitation to begin a relationship with him, to come home, the place that you love, the place that you're known, fellowship with God, right relationship with God. So we're gonna close, and the way we're gonna do that is you probably have a candle somewhere around you, and we're going to uh, light these candles to help us connect with this idea that Jesus is the light that brings us home. And I don't know where you are tonight, but I believe that as we light these and as we sing a Christmas hymn to close our time together, I believe that the Spirit of God wants to speak to you, wants to encourage you, wants to minister to you. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna light uh, my candle then, there we go. And you might question whether it's wise to have a bunch of people light candles with kids in the room. That's okay. We could talk about that later. Or if people's hair will be burned. Uh, I don't have hair, so I don't really worry about that. Uh, but I can light a candle, maybe. All right. And then Joe's going to come up. And uh, Ellen, there you go. Ellen's going to come up. I'm going to light their candle, and they're going to bring it and kind of pass it around. Try not to catch anybody on fire as we do this. I want to invite you to stand. And as Jeremy leads us in this song, I want to lead us in a reflection on Jesus, the light that brings us home. Thank you, Jesus, that you've come for every person in the room, that you are bringing renewal, restoration, healing, and you're bringing us home, Lord. And so we enter into the meaning of Christmas. We enter into why this day tomorrow is so important. And we enter into the significance of who you are and what you've invited us into. Pray you'd help us all to connect with that in a deeper way this Christmas. 
Well, I hope that encouraged you. If this message spoke to you, if God's doing something in your life, I'd love for you to send us an email and let us know. You can do that by just hitting reply on any of the emails you get from us. Wait, what's that? You don't get emails from us. Oh, man, why don't you go to our website and you can sign up for our community newsletter. Once a week, you'll get updates on what's going on, what God is doing in our midst, and we would love for you to be a part. Uh, if you've enjoyed this series of podcasts, I'd love for you to go on iTunes and leave a review. It helps other people find out uh, about this stuff. Love you guys, and we'll see you next week.